Tammy Schwartz, even though it may not be a name that you and I are familiar with, she is the face of the IDF. What do I mean by that? She oversees for Dovre Tsahal, for the spokesperson's office of the IDF, she oversees all social media. Social media, whether it's Spanish language, English language, whether it's in Arabic, and the ability that they have and the responsibility they have to act, you know, having absolute clear facts on the one hand, but doing it in an expeditious, fast way because of the news cycle, because of the press, because of the bloggers, is what makes her job incredibly challenging. She has a team. She is she's very astute, very smart. We had the opportunity to meet with her in her base in Srifin and meet with members of her team. And we wanted to share her insights and her experiences of the war with all of those, all of those participating this afternoon and this morning on this briefing. And without further ado, I want to hand it over to Lieutenant Tammy Shore. Thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure to be speaking to everyone uh, this evening in Israel, but wherever you are, it's a pleasure. So as Steve said, for the past year, I've been running the social media department for the IDF, the International Social Media Department. And what it means is that my department, my team, leads all social media efforts for the military, both in English, in French, and in Spanish. Uh, we operate over 10 platforms. To name a few, we have, of course, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. We have a website, a podcast, and many, many others. And uh, I'll speak about the challenges of managing so many different platforms and cater to so many different audiences in a second. But uh, I just want to introduce my team because I think that it's so important to understand the manpower behind this uh, machine or behind this huge, huge effort we've been conducting for the, for the past three months. Uh, so under my team, I have 30 soldiers. 20 of those are lone soldiers who made Aliyah to serve in the IDF. Uh, they come from all over the world, from the US, UK, France, uh, Germany, England, uh, Paraguay, Uruguay, Mexico, and many, many other countries. So it's really a team of experts in their own field, whether it be social media or the audience we're trying to refer to. So when it comes to social media, uh, especially in English, we're trying to approach the younger audience, people who absorb their world news when it comes to uh, conflict or uh, news trends on social media. Uh, so basically, we're trying to take a very complex message, something that is very hard to understand in a 15 second TikTok, simplify it as much as possible and give it to the people. Uh, we're trying to portray what the military is doing. So in order to explain a bit better on what has been happening here for the past three months, I'll explain what happened starting October 7th from my point of view as the head of the social media department. So when we woke up to sirens on October 7th at 6.30 a.m., I personally woke my family up uh, after getting uh, woken up by one of my lone soldiers who asked me where to go to a bomb shelter. So I woke my family up. We immediately followed the Home Front Command uh, guidelines and went to the bomb shelter. And then for a couple of hours, we were trying to, as the rest of the military and the rest of the country, we were trying to understand what was happening. And we were trying to be as reliable and worthy as possible. 
So as you probably all know, digital footprint is very much a thing in 2024. And when it comes to being the social media office of a military, we can never be misleading or we can never lie to the public because our job is to be as trustworthy and as transparent as possible. So we were updating the public uh, in all languages with the updates as we were getting them. So the first tweet of this war is at 631 where we tweeted about sirens sounding in Southern Israel and Central Israel. And from there for the first 48 hours, the only content we were able to push out are real life updates because we realized that there is a vacuum in the world understanding what is happening in Israel. So you had obviously the telegram channels, the non-official telegram channels, where you could see these awful, awful images coming out of Southern Israel of the terrorists roaming in Sderot and in Beiri and in all of the Israeli communities in Southern Israel. And we understood that our job was to minimize mass panic around the world in regards to what's happening in Israel and to, and to portray and to let the public know what was happening here in Israel the moment we got clarification. Um, so just some numbers. So what we saw in the beginning of the war, that there, were, there was a true vacuum when it came to seeing what, what is happening here on the ground in Israel. So in the first 48 hours, we had a rise of about 100,000 followers, which is astronomic in social media numbers. And for the past three months, we have gathered more than two and a half billion views which uh, we are very proud to say are completely organic, not sponsored, not endorsed, uh, and not paid for. Um, and if you look at our social media and you look at the languages, it's we're trying to cater to every audience and to every public as to what interests them. So when we talk about uh, our French-speaking audience, we try to focus more about our northern arena, about Lebanon, because at the end of the day, there's a very large uh, French-speaking population in Lebanon, and there's a lot of France uh, funding that France diverts into Lebanon. So we try to explain what Hezbollah is, what are the challenges Hezbollah poses to the free world. When it comes to our Spanish-speaking audience, we try and talk more about the drug trafficking arena, about the cartels in South America, and how they're all influenced by the Iranian axis of uh, terrorism around the world and their efforts to de destabilize the entire region. Um, and I think one of the biggest challenges, and with that, I'll uh, open it up for questions for uh, from Stephen, the audience. I think one of the biggest challenges we ha we've had in this war is the fact that it's labeled the war, the true real war, war of fake news, because you have conflicting information coming out from the field. You have an or a terrorist organization like Hamas that is using one of their strongest weapons, which is psychological warfare. We can see this with the barbaric and uh, merciless videos of the hostages uh, Hamas are pushing out. We can see this with different moves they're doing. They're really exploiting psychological warfare against both Israelis and the international audience. And uh, you can see this in the way they're trying to portray themselves as, as the protectors of the Gazan people, as the protectors of the Palestinians, where we try and show as much evidence and real footage of the way Hamas deliberately pulls, puts Palestinians uh, under fire, under constant threat by using them as human shields, 
by using their hospitals as bases of operation, by digging tunnels underneath schools and underneath kindergartens. And you can really see uh, the war of narratives as to what the military and what Israel is trying to portray, that we did not want this war, nor did we start this war. We are fighting a just war for the protection of our people, to release our hostages, to reunite families, and to proper, properly grieve what happened here on October 7th. And then you have Hamas, whose stated goal is the annihilation of the state of Israel and all Jews around the world. Um, so with that, I'll be more than happy to have con have uh, a meaningful conversation. Tammy, two, two questions. Um, one of those questions is, coming from a lot of the younger participants here at FIDF, and that is, um, they are, and again, I'm going to try to contrast the psyche in America. Those Americans who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s and older were raised in a world for the most part where there's a trust and respect for government. And if there's something official coming from the army or the government, for the most part, there's a certain sense of trust, a belief in the, the legitimacy, the morality and the accuracy of the information they're getting. That's not necessarily the case in the younger generations, whether it's Generation Z, whether it's the millennials, that's not necessarily the case in America. And again, we're not here to judge it, we're sort of describing those two distinctions. So many of the younger people have, knowing that you're involved, and many of them who don't necessarily go to news sites, but really get their news on X, they get their news through TikTok, they get their news through blogs, they get their news through WhatsApp, they're not necessarily going to the same sources that someone in their 40s, 50s, or 60s is going to. They question, how can there be any accuracy? How can anybody respect it, if it no matter how true it is, if it's coming from an official source? And, and what the second half of their question is, is shouldn't this be shared through influencers should, because of the psyche of that generation? So that's question number one. Are you using influencers in various countries in various languages to, to spread the word? That's question number one. Question number two is from a totally different source. People are interested in who, in terms of the, we know that there are tens of millions of followers of the IDF social media, um, Arabic speakers, whether those are people living in Gaza, whether the people living in other parts of the Middle East, other parts of the Persian Gulf. If you could speak to us about that demographic, and the way that your team communicates to the Arab speaking, so to speak, followers, Arab speaking audience. So two very insightful questions. I'd start with the, with the first. So of course we are aware of the, let's say the questionability of our credibility online as a military and the, very easy category that we try to stay out of, which is being a propaganda channel. Um, so when it comes to sharing information that is credible, we try and supply as much as possible real evidence, uh, aerial images, actual footage. So the source isn't the IDF said, but the IDF showed. Uh, and that is one way we try to combat that. We try and get as much, uh, as, as many as possible commanders that are actually boots on the ground in Gaza, on record, on air, sharing their own experiences. I think 
outside of the world of social media, one of the biggest uh, things we've done is on October 8th, which means less than 24 hours after uh, the massacre happened, we were able to bring in journalists from international press to Southern Israel, to the communities, to see, to see the horrors for themselves, to witness firsthand what happened in Southern Israel, because we understand the credibility that other uh, media channels and uh, news outlets have by not being labeled as the voices of the IDF. And when it comes to influencers, we are working with different influencers. I think you can see many who came here to see, see it for themselves, who came and visited Southern Israel, who met with soldiers who were hospitalized, who were injured in Gaza or on October 7th. But we are trying to cater to as many influencers as possible because we understand that if, let's say, you have someone that uh, has a channel focusing on sports and lifestyle, so they have a different following from the following that will usually or typically follow a social media channel of a military. So we do work a lot with influencers. We try and spread out our content as and for it to be as accessible as possible. And when it comes to your second question about the Arab speaking world, so I'll divide it into two. So you have, um, let's say the enemy, you have Hamas, you have uh, Islamic Jihad, you have Hezbollah, who, especially in the Arabic language, you want to deter, you want to broadcast the IDF's victories, our, our uh, strength and our military accomplishments. And then you have our partners, whether said or non-said, you have the rest of the Arab world, uh, which we have diplomatic ties with or we don't, uh, to which we're trying to show the fact that jihad, that Hamas, the Islamic ideology, ex the extreme Islamic ideology that Hamas, organizations like Hamas are following are opposed to the beliefs of Islam. They're opposed to uh, peace in the Middle East. They're opposed to every human value that the religion um, respects and tries to preserve. And for that, we have our Arabic speaker, the IDF Arabic speaker, his name is Abichayad Ra'i. He's an amazing person who is an expert uh, in the Palestinian psyche, and he understands uh, the conversations happening in the Arab world. And we have a way to make sure, we also have platforms in Persian that are uh, meant to reach people in the Iranian uh, Republic and uh, Persian speaking people around the world. And we have that nuances between our different, different platforms and the ability to cater to our followers. So if we understand we have a mass of followers from let's say Tehran, so we'll be able to cater our content better to the following that we already have. Um, so that is how I would frame our uh, conversations with the Arab speaking world. Would you be willing to share with us maybe one or two interesting examples over the course of the last hundred days? I know that when we had met you, you'd shared with us some of the UNRWA and uh, we all know that UNRWA unfortunately is nothing more than a, than a face and an extension of Hamas but uh, how you use some of the the tweets from UNRWA you know ultimately to to lay out facts which which obviously 
gave credibility to those who are doubters, those who are cynical about Israel? So I think that every day here uh, is a different decision and a different dilemma. So I'll say one from uh, one dilemma we discussed uh, in the first couple of days of the war that we had is when we uh, started receiving all of the footage that was taken from the body cams of the terrorists uh, that were taken from the security cameras, the dash cams uh, of the casualties of Nova and the casualties of the massacre in the communities. And it was a very big question whether we should or shouldn't post it online. And I think in in hindsight, we made the right decision where is that we took 10 minutes of the visuals uh, that we received from the different sources I just mentioned. And obviously after making sure with the families of the victims and the families of the dece deceased that they are okay with us sharing this uh, Im these images online, we posted it. And I think that one of the most troubling trends that you can see in the international media today is the fact that people are start starting to deny the October 7th massacre. People are starting to make different conspiracy theories. Uh, people are deleting. We can see Hamas and different terrorists deleting the images from Telegram, deleting it from the different uh, apps and trying to basically cover their tracks of what happened here on October 7th. And I think the fact that, as I mentioned previously, digital footprint is something so dominant here in 2024, is the fact that we will forever have this piece of content on our pages where people can't argue with the facts, they can't argue with the brutality and the pure human hatred they can see in these images. Uh, so that's one dilemma we've had. And the other, uh, as you mentioned about UNRWA. So I think it was about three weeks into the war where UNRWA for the one millionth time said that if they don't get uh, fuel supplied to them in the next 24 hours, they will be forced to shut down their operation inside Gaza. Spoiler, it's been 110 days of the war. They're still operating um, and everything's great and they're okay. But they tweeted out that someone, a militant group uh, that shall not be named, uh, raided their warehouses and their storage facilities inside Gaza and robbed them of their humanitarian aid and medical supplies. Uh, they very quickly deleted this tweet, but as I said, I have a talented, a talented team of um, Gen Zs who are very, very, very quick with their screenshots, who did a screenshot of um, said UNRWA tweet. And it's such opportunities in the world of social media that you have to take, because as I said, the source is always better when it's not the IDF said, but the IDF showed. It's even better than, it's even better if it's an international organization or someone that is trusted uh, around the world that basically blows the cover of Hamas. So we used that screenshot and basically referenced the same organization saying, if you approach Hamas and ask them, ask them to give back your uh, your facilities, your storages, your aid, uh, and ask them for some fuel along the way, because Hamas at that point had over a million gallons of fuel inside Gaza, then your situation might be a little better. Because when it comes to the point of criticism about humanitarian aid, it's important to note that ever since this, the war started, 
Israel has been facilitating over 300 trucks of humanitarian aid every day into Gaza. We are not the bottleneck when it comes to humanitarian aid coming into Gaza. That is Hamas that is banning and raiding the humanitarian aid trucks once they enter into Gaza. They basically stop the trucks and take the humanitarian aid for themselves and for their operatives hiding in their underground tunnels. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing this with you. And we understand you and your team are working 24 seven because the reality is unlike when I grew up where the news ended at 1130 at night and didn't come back on until 630 in the morning, it's 24 seven. And we understand how fast it is, how rapid it is. And we thank you for the fact that you insist upon accuracy, you insist upon the facts. And we're dealing with a very, very vicious enemy on social media. We feel it here in America, as does everyone else on the globe. And we thank you for the incredible job that you and your team are doing. I appreciate it very much. I would like to end on a more positive note, which is I'm a daughter of the immigrants, and I know how hard it is being a Jew in the diaspora. And I have to say that all of the support that are, we are getting from around the world, I'm saying this both for my, for my lone soldiers and for myself, I think every voice matters. And it's so important for us to portray the feeling that none of us are alone in this. And everyone, every person that speaks up, every person that speaks their truth matters. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, we as an, as the IDF know that we are fighting for the right team. And I hope that everyone are feeling, everyone is feeling safe and staying safe and uh, let's pray for better times. Thank you. Thank you, Tammy, very much.